have your Bibles, we are going to be in John chapter 4. And uh, just walking through a gospel account and uh, this gospel conversation that Jesus had with a woman at the well. And today is really part two of that gospel conversation. And uh, as, we, as we walk through this word, um, the theme of the day is really around gospel urgency. And there is this uh, just like, so God's heart for the timing of sharing the good news about himself. And so as we walk through this text this morning, I, I do want to just take a moment and kind of like get us up to speed on where we're at in this conversation that has just taken place. Uh, so, so John chapter four shows us a story about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ clothed himself in flesh. He humbled himself and he dwelt among us. And he came to live a life that we could never live, a perfect life. And he died a death that we all deserve to die. He died on the cross to pay the price for our sin. And then they placed him in the tomb and he rose again the third day. And so Jesus's heart in, in coming is that he came to seek and to save the lost. And so Jesus had spent some time in the city of Jerusalem. And so they spent some time there after Jerusalem. He's made his way into the Judean countryside. And then from the Judean countryside, he's making his way up north to a place called Galilee, which would really be the home base of his ministry. And there's two ways you can get to Galilee. You can take the shortest route, which I think is what we would all want to do. Like, what's the shortest way to get there? It's straight north. But if you were a Jew, and so Jesus Christ, the Son of God, clothed himself in flesh, dwelt among us, born into a Jewish family. All of Jesus' disciples are Jewish. And so going north and taking the direct route would sound like a great idea unless you were a Jew. Because Jews would have no dealings with Samaritans, people who lived in Samaria. Matter of fact, they would cross over west, go over the Jordan River, travel north, and then once they've cleared Samaria, they would then take a left back over the Jordan, back, excuse me, back west uh, and cross over once they cleared Samaria. There was great hostility. There was great animosity between Jews and Samaritans. So Jews would go out of their way to, to, to dodge Samaria and Samaritans. But I love what Jesus does. Jesus goes straight to Samaria and he goes straight to um, a people that for the Jews, there was a great hostility, but Jesus needed to teach his disciples a very important lesson and that his love was not just for the Jews. His love was for all people. And so he's going to teach them by going on this mission trip to Samaria. And he wants them to see that Jesus loves all people. And it was as Jesus went to Samaria that he had a purpose. The Bible says he had to go. So all of us know those things that we could do or we'd like to do, but there are those things we have to do. The Bible says that Jesus had to go to Samaria. He had to go there. Why? Because there was a Samaritan woman that desperately needed his grace and his love and his rescue. And so here he is at Jacob's well there in Samaria. And it's the Bible says it was the, the sixth hour, which in, in our kind of time time uh, process, that would be 12 o'clock. That would be the heat of the day. 
And so here's this Samaritan woman that she would have passed likely multiple wells on her way to Jacob's well. And she went during the hottest time of the day. Why in the world would she go during the hottest time of the day? It was because she didn't want to be seen. She lived in a moral lifestyle. She lived a sinful lifestyle. She had had five husbands and the man she was living with now was not her husband. And so she didn't want to go in the cool of the day when other people would be gathering that water, honestly, because she didn't want the stares. She didn't want the whispers. She didn't want the gossip. She didn't want the, the judgmental eyes on her. And so she went in the hottest time of the day when nobody else would be there. But she goes out of her way in the hottest part of the day. And Jesus goes out of his way to meet her right where she is, which is one of the greatest truths that we see in scripture. And that is this, is that Jesus does not expect us to get our lives together and to get it all right and to clean ourselves up before we can come to Christ and to be accepted by him. Rather, he meets us where we are. And he meets this Samaritan lady right where she is. And the conversation begins by uh, Jesus asking for a drink of water. Now that's interesting because Jesus is 100% God, but he's also 100% man. Because he had to, he had to uh, be our pay our substitutionary death on the cross. So he associates himself with us to be our perfect sacrifice. And so he's weary He's thirsty. And I love this. Jesus is weary and thirsty because he's pursuing thirsty souls. He's pursuing weary people. And so he's wearied seeking out refreshment and satisfaction for the weary soul. And so she asks, he asks for a drink of water. She's like, what are you doing talking to me? I'm a, I'm a Samaritan woman. You're a, you're a Jewish Jews have no dealings. And Jesus takes this physical conversation about this physical water and he builds a bridge to talk a, and teach about a, a very important spiritual truth. And that is this. If you drink this earthly water, this physical water, you're going to be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the living water, he says, this living water that wells up into eternal life, living water speaks of relationship with God. It speaks of forgiveness. It speaks of his grace. It speaks of his mercy. It speaks of eternal relationship with him. He says, if you only knew who was talking to you, you would ask for living water and you would receive it. But a person can't receive living water, that relationship with Jesus until they understand they need that water. So Jesus in love and grace begins to transition the conversation of this physical water to why she needs living water. And he says this to go tell your husband. And she says, I, I don't have a husband. He says, you're right. You've had five husbands and the husband and the, or the man that you live right now is not your husband. And she says, sir, I perceive you are a prophet. And he absolutely was. He's the prophet of all prophets. He's God. And so what Jesus does lovingly and graciously is he exposes her need for forgiveness in this relationship. And then she tries to divert the conversation because she's getting uncomfortable because honestly, who likes to talk about their sin? And so it's getting uncomfortable. And so she starts diverting the conversation to about worshiping at this mountain or on this mountain. And Jesus is telling her in grace and love, basically, listen, it's not about a place. It's about a personal relationship 
with the Savior. And she, the, the lady says, I know the Messiah is coming and he'll be called the Christ and then he'll tell us everything, everything about ourselves. And yet, what did Jesus do just a couple verses before that? Told her all that she ever did. And Jesus says to this Samaritan woman, I am the Messiah. I'm the one that you've been waiting for. I'm the one you've been looking for. And so Jesus is revealing himself as the Messiah, the only one who can give this living water, that forgiveness and grace and relationship. And so that's part one of the conversation. And now we're jumping into part two of the conversation. And so if you got your Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter four. And the main theme of this morning or the main idea is that the time is now to share the gospel of Jesus. Let's look at verse 27. The Bible says in John chapter four, verse 27 says, just then his disciples came back. So he's just had this conversation with the Samaritan woman. And the Bible says just then his disciples came back, which I, I love God's timing. God's timing is always perfect in his providence and care. It wasn't until after he was wrapped up with his or finishing up with his conversation with the Samaritan woman that the disciples just show up. I mean, think of how awkward it might have been or how the conversation might have got off the wheels a little bit. If the disciples walk right up on when Jesus says, yeah, you're right. You've had five husbands and the man that you're living with right now isn't your isn't your husband like that. That would have that would have become a distraction. And so Jesus in his provision and grace is having this conversation and it's at this moment, just then his disciples came back and they marveled, the Bible says. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking to her? Which I think is, is, is interesting because the disciple John is the one who's writing the gospel of John. He was there. And so the fact that he's there, he was one of those disciples walking up. And the Bible says that he, nobody said anything, but have you ever not said something, but you're thinking a whole lot in that moment? And that's what he's doing. He's saying they marveled. In other words, they were completely shocked and stunned. They were astounded that Jesus was talking to a woman because in that culture, a, a Jewish man did not speak with a woman in public, much less a rabbi. And so Jesus is talking to her. And so they did not ask her, what do you seek? And they didn't ask Jesus, why are you talking with her? But evidently they were thinking it. That's all they were thinking about is what in the world is going on? But yet in this account, we see that there are two responses to this gospel urgency. This two responses to like, okay, what is our response to this good news of Jesus? And we're going to see two different responses in the text. One, we're going to see the urgency of the woman. And secondly, we're going to see the hesitancy of the disciples. And so look at verse 28. The Bible says in verse 28, So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and they were coming to him. And I love this picture because why in the world did the woman go to the well in the first place? She was thirsty. She had a physical thirst that needed to be quenched. 
She went in the hottest part of the day. She went so she would see nobody else. And what does the Bible tell us? The Bible teaches us that once she had this encounter with Jesus, that she left her water pot. She left that water jar and she went away into town. And this is so good because the very thing that she thought was going to satisfy, she realized that there was only one who could satisfy her soul's thirst so much so that she forgot even what she was there for. And she left the temporary to pursue letting people know about the eternal. She ran into town. Think about it. That morning when she woke up, she kind of plotted out her day. I'm going to go at the hottest part of the day so I don't say anybody. And now her water jar is on the ground and she is running into the town to say, come see the man who told me everything that I ever did. You see this urgency, this gospel urgency of sharing this good news with a people that desperately, desperately need it. And I love how this Samaritan woman didn't say, okay, well, I'm not sure what I'm going to say. I'm probably going to mess something up. She didn't go on like a five-week class on, on how to share the gospel. I'm for that. I'm for those. We do that. We want to equip people. But she didn't take a five-week course. She didn't say, well, I don't know. What if they ask a bunch of questions that I don't know the answer to? Um, she didn't think about, well, I just need to, I need to store up a lot of knowledge before I start having conversations with people. No, she was like, I have got to tell my town about this Jesus. And she went for it. She went for it. And her testimony is all about Jesus. It's all about just like, tell me about this man. Tell me about this man. Verse 31. Meanwhile, while the Samaritan woman is running into town to tell everybody about Jesus. The Bible says, meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Jesus saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. And so the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Let's replay the moment. They are coming back from having gotten some, some needs there in the town, some food, perhaps water. I'm not sure, but they're coming up. They're coming just as Jesus has revealed to this Samaritan woman that he is the Messiah. This is like groundbreaking moment in redemptive history that is happening right here at this well. This, this story changes everything. And the disciples walk up and all they're thinking of is what does she need? And why is he talking to her? And Jesus, can you, you need something to eat? <laughs> like they're, they're missing what Jesus is trying to communicate to them in this moment. They are hesitant about what is going on. They're processing. And what we see in the story is that the father's desire is that we reach people with the gospel, not later, but now. But now, verse 34, the Bible says that Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Just like Jesus' style, he's the ultimate conversationalist. He's the best question asker in the world. He meets people where they are. He'll start with something physical and tangible that they understand, and he builds the bridge into the spiritual, just like he did with the Samaritan woman, with the, with the physical water and the living water. And now with the disciples, he's doing the same thing. He's, he's, we get this physical need for food, but there is a spiritual truth a spiritual truth that he's wanting to teach them. And what Jesus is not saying is that godly people don't eat. 
or, or, or spiritual people don't eat. Like, we got to eat. We got to survive, right? Catfish is too good not to eat. You got you to gotta eat food like it's good. But what Jesus is saying, he's saying this, is that when you share the truth of the gospel and the good news of Jesus with someone who is a thirsty soul and doesn't know him, what he's saying is, is that that brings a satisfaction that earthly food could never provide. And there is true. There is an unspeakable joy that takes place when you share the hope and the good news of Jesus with somebody who knows they are thirsty. Like it's the best news. It's the best news ever. And so in verse 35, Jesus continues in his teaching and he says to them, do, do you not say that there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? So this is likely taking place in December and it's over in Palestine and over in Samaria, there would be no doubt fields. And uh, so just curious, are there any farmers in the house? Any farmers? Anybody planting something this spring? Okay, I see those hands. All right. All right. Everybody see who they were. So we go to them and ask for food from them. Okay. And, and so, but, but we all know how it works. There's a time to plant a seed in the soil. And then there is a window of time and then it is harvest. But there's a period of waiting. And so no doubt in December, it's not time to harvest, but you're going to see these little seedlings. And you're going to see them all over where, where people are farming and growing. And what Jesus, again, he's taking something physical and he's teaching them something spiritual. He's teaching them that though we say that these seedlings aren't ready. What Jesus is going to say is these seedlings aren't ready, but there is a people who is ready. There's a people ready. He says in verse 35, he says, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white unto harvest. It's December in the planting world. April is harvest time. But here Jesus is saying, look up. He's saying that the fields are white unto harvest. And notice what's happening in the conversation. The Samaritan woman has ran to the city to tell everybody about the hope that is in Jesus. And meanwhile, the disciples are here basically saying, Jesus, you need to eat. You need to eat. But then Jesus is saying, no, I want you to look up. The fields are white in the harvest. And Samaritans in that day and in that culture would have been wrapped in white. Likely their heads would be covered in white. And I believe with all my heart that in this very moment, Jesus is telling his disciples to look up and look. The fields are white into harvest. And here come those Samaritans who are making their way to see Jesus. He's saying the time is now. Jesus is signaling the harvest. This is a word for us, church. This is a word that this, the harvest time is now that there are around 47,000 people that live in our community and surrounding community, multiple people. And that though we might not know 100% where people are, that there are those who are ready to receive this hope of the gospel. Because we are here and we are living here in this place in this time. Think about that. We don't, we don't live back in the 60s. We don't live in the 70s. Well, I was born in the 70s. We did live back then. Uh, you know, we're, we're not, we're not, we didn't, we didn't begin our physical existence on this planet in the year 2050. We are here right now. 
right now, in this place, in this time, right now, God has placed you in this community and you are surrounded by people that he desperately loves. That currently you live in homes and you live in neighborhoods and you are surrounded by people that God desperately loves. That for many of us, we find ourselves in workspaces through the week and we have working relationships and people who are around us or in our rhythm of life. And they're every single one of them people that God desperately loves. For many of us in our role at work, we find ourselves serving. We find ourselves serving, working in different ways. And that can look a million different ways. But every single person you interact with that you serve, that every single one of those people is somebody that God desperately loves. Students in this time and place, Spend time in classrooms surrounded with people on all sides who God desperately loves. He has you on teams and families who are in that world and you're connecting with other families. And these are all people that Jesus desperately loves. You go to the grocery store and you buy groceries to buy food for your family. And every person you see, you're surrounded by people that God desperately loves. You go to the gas pump and you see other people putting gas in their tanks. And these are people that God desperately loves. God desperately loves every, every single person. He says, lift up your eyes, lift up your eyes. The harvest time is now. The harvest is now. In verse 36, the Bible says that already he's continuing the teaching. So here's what I'm, here's what I picture. Look, the harvest is plentiful. It's white in the harvest. The people are coming. He still has a few teachable moments with these disciples before the Samaritans are there. He says, already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. Remember, he's teaching spiritual lessons. He's like, listen, there's been some sowing. It's time to reap. It's harvest time. In our harvest work, the sharing of the good news, we don't save people. We just share the gospel, right? The gospel has the power of salvation. And so we're just sharing. That's what we're doing. We're sharing this good news. So as you see, and he's looking up and he's like, listen, the joy is in seeing people come to faith in Jesus Christ. He says, the reaper and the sower rejoice together. Verse 37, for here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. In other words, they had never, they had probably not stepped foot in Samaria. (laughs) But God was doing a work in Samaria before they ever got there. And he was preparing the soil So they didn't labor in that work, but they get to celebrate in the harvest and sharing this good news of the gospel to which I see in this text that Jesus is teaching a responsibility for his followers as an active role in the harvest. He's telling them, I've sent you. Jesus said, I've been sent and now I'm sending you. That we all, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, you are a missionary. God has entrusted to us a mission. And he has also entrusted us with a responsibility, our church. And when I say our church, I'm not talking about our building. I'm talking about the people. 
we have a responsibility. God has entrusted us. And so he's invited us to live on this adventure. And I read this quote that I believe really is very challenging. But this quote says this, that the longer a church has been around and the bigger that a church becomes, the more difficult it can be to stay on mission. And so it's this challenge that we always keep reaching far from God people with the good news of Jesus. And we keep that on the front burner that we continue to pray and we continue to intercede. And by God's grace, we entrust how he's called us to be a part of this mission and to be a part of this good work. In his book, When Heaven Came Down, Stephen Davey says this. He said, there's an old story about a harbor town located in a treacherous area where boats frequently capsized on the rocks in bad weather. The town was known for its faithful rescue team. And whenever the bell sounded, a group of men rode quickly to the scene of the disaster, risking their lives to remove sailors from sinking vessels or to pluck them from heaving waves. And after a few years, the town collected money to build a rescue station near the shore to store all of their equipment and this making their rescue work easier. Also, special training was offered to others who wanted to become rescuers. And the operation became efficient, saving hundreds of lives from ongoing waters. But as time went by, comforts and conveniences were added to the building. Cupboards full of food, a dining room, a lounge stuffed with chairs and recliners, and sleeping quarters. The lovely building became a club where townspeople loved to eat, meet, play games, and to socialize. The bell still sounded when a wreck occurred, but only a handful of people responded. And later, no one bothered to answer the rescue call for they didn't want to leave the comfortable club. And it's this challenge that by God's grace, we never get used to this calling that he's put on our life in this community and in our neighborhoods and around those people we live, work and play. And in those circles of influences, he's put us around that we would share. We would meet people where they are and we would share the love of Jesus in a practical way. Our community is our responsibility. It's our responsibility. And so we see these responses to gospel urgency. One is urgency. One is hesitancy. We see the father's desires that we reach people, not not one day, but now. And the third truth is that we live on mission as we share our testimony in his word. Verse 39, the Bible says many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. I love her testimony. Now, I, I'm thinking we didn't get the full story right here. She had an opportunity to share all that Christ had said and, and how he invested in her life. And those conversations. But for her, she was like, come see the man. That's what our testimonies are all about. I mean, they're, they're about us and what God has done for us. But what we're doing is we're pointing them to the man, the God man, Jesus. And this is what her story does. Her story elevates and glorifies God. And so others want to come to Jesus. She's influencing them for his glory and for his mission. Verse 40. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with him. And he stayed there for two days and many more believed because of his word. And so how are people, how do we live on mission? We live on mission through the power of our testimony and through his word, his truth. 
And this is what we see at play with the Samaritans. We see the story of the woman and God using that. And by the way, I just want to say, if you've been rescued by God's grace, you have a testimony. You have a powerful testimony that Christ has changed your life. And not only that, but the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And so here it is, it's the testimony and it's the word. And we see many people, many people are coming to Christ. Verse 42, and they said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. This is the first time in all of scripture that you will find a person or a group of people. This is the first time where you hear Jesus referred to as the savior of the world. And I love that it's the Samaritans that are the ones that are saying it. <laughs> Why? Because in their mind, that would they ever be accepted? Would they ever be accepted in the beloved? For Jews, they would literally go out of their way. They would cross east over the Jordan, completely avoid them and come back west over the Jordan once they cleared the area because they had a hostility and an animosity. But God's heart is for all people, all people. He loves all people. And so he is the savior of the world. He's not just for Jew. He's not just for Greek. He's not just for white, black, Latino. Like he's for everybody. He's for everybody. So we see God coming for the world. He's the savior of the world. Jesus had to go to Samaria because he needed to teach his disciples that this good news is for everybody. And he also taught them that the time is now in sharing that good news. So how does this message apply to our lives? How does how does this intersect? And I believe that there is a resounding truth that we see all through the Bible that I'd love for us to kind of process together. And that is this, is I believe honestly that every Christian, if you're a true, by, like, like life been changed by the grace of Christ, like you have, you have repented of your sin, you've trusted in Jesus, Jesus is your Lord. I am confident every single believer would agree to the fact that Jesus is, desires to win the world and that he desires to use us in that, our testimony and his word. But the challenge becomes is we know that and we believe that, but yet sometimes there is this disconnect in our faithfulness and sharing, speaking, speaking to believers in that way. What, what creates that disconnect? And I believe this we will never live with gospel urgency apart from personal intimacy with Jesus. I believe that it is absolutely vital that if we are going to stay on mission and if we are going to continue to pursue and get tired over reaching weary lost sinners, that we must invest personally in our relationship with Jesus, time in his word, communing in prayer. Not to check a box and say we did it. Not to get uh, favor with God. Listen, that's what makes the gospel the gospel. His love is unconditional. <laughs> like his grace is enough. But rather it's in that intimacy with the Father that our hearts align with his. And so a fire will always die down if you don't put another log on the fire. 
And so it's through that personal time with the Lord, time in his word, time in prayer, that he grows our burden for the lost. I see this all through scripture in John chapter one. If we were to go back to the beginning, John the baptizer is paving the way. He's preparing the way for the Lord. And so John, the disciple John and Andrew, the disciple, uh, they are disciples of John initially. But when Jesus comes, John says, behold, the son of God, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so they kind of unhitch from John the baptizer and they hitch on to Jesus. And the Bible says this, that after Andrew stayed with Jesus, I think that's important. After Jesus stayed with him, what did he do? He went and got his brother, Simon Peter. And then if you follow on that Jesus uh, calls Philip and he calls Philip to follow him. And so Philip is following Jesus. And it's after spending time with Jesus that what does Philip do? Philip runs and he gets Nathaniel. In Mark 3, 14, it's one of my favorite passages, but after Jesus appointed the 12, the disciples, the Bible says he appointed them so they might be with him and that he might send them out. So in other words, he calls them to be with him before they ever go and reach anybody. That we see this in Matthew 28, what's known as the Great Commission, where Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus called them to be with him on that Galilean mountainside before he ever told them to go out. And we see the Samaritan woman, how her life has been changed because why she spent time with Jesus and her life was forever different. Jesus is trying to teach his disciples, when you commune and have intimacy with me, this is going to, this is going to fuel your life for gospel mission. And so the encouragement is this, what would Simon Peter had missed out on if his older brother hadn't stayed with Jesus? What would happen if Philip said, no, I'm sorry, I can't follow you. I don't have time for that. What, what, how would that have impacted Nathaniel? How would the Samaritan woman's life be any different if she did not spend that time with the father? How would the disciples' lives be different if they didn't spend that time with the father? Could it be that God desires to speak to you and to me through his word and the power of his spirit, applying that word, could it be that God is desiring to teach us and show us and lead us and guide us, but we are missing out on what God has for us because we have perhaps stepped away from that intimacy with the father. And so the encouragement, the encouragement is, is that God desires us to spend that time in his word and to spend that time in prayer. Second truth is that we would never underestimate the power of one conversation. <laughs> this one conversation with this one Samaritan woman changed everything for a community. So I just think with those, those conversations we have, don't be discouraged. Because here's what can happen. The enemy can, all, can just kind of like whisper these, these lies of fear and doubt and uncertainty and rejection. So much so that you can even share the gospel and the enemy will attack thinking that you did a bad job of doing that. And so why don't you just, if I can make you feel like not comfortable with that, so you won't do that again. But rather the victory is in just serving the Lord and just pointing people to Jesus and just sharing that good news. And so we see the power of one 
conversation and how powerful that is. God help us to have gospel sensitivity. And then I would just say as a church, we must be faithful to pray together. We have our, our prayer gatherings monthly. And, and every, every time we gather, we pray together over those who may be far from God or don't have a relationship. And so we pray. We pray for opportunities. We pray for sensitivity. We pray that God would give us the courage. We pray God would give us the words. And so we must pray together. Passion and prayer for souls is going to keep us on mission as a church, as God's church. And then I would also say this, on Wednesday nights for adults, we, we, we strive to equip. And so Pastor Charlie is leading a, a, leading a, a time of answering hard questions. Like, what do you do with these, why does evil exist? And, and how do we share our faith? Like, this is a great opportunity to be equipped on how to share our faith and some of those maybe more challenging questions. But I would also say this, if somebody's asking questions and they're seeking truth, God can use that in a mighty, mighty way. <laughs> he can use that. He can use that. And then also this Wednesday at 615 in our cafe, Pastor Michael will be leading a group for folks who want to go out. And we, over the past year, have been going door to door around the homes right here in our, in our backyard. And the goal is to hit every single one of them. And so we go and what do we do? We introduce ourselves, share how much we love our community. We want to know if there's any way we can serve you. Is there anything we can pray for you about? And that, that there are times to take that conversation a little bit further and share about the hope of Jesus. And so God help us to, to stay on mission, not just personally, but stay on mission together. And then the last thing I would share this morning is this. Perhaps you're here and you're not a believer. And maybe you're, you're, you're open or you're learning to Jesus or you, you, about Jesus. You have questions. But, but here is, here's, here's some good news. And this good news is good for all of us to hear. And this good news is that when God made you, he created you with a design. God created this world with a design. Every area of our life, God has a design for. He has a design for our relationships he has a design for our marriage. He has a design for our parenting. He has a design for how we work. He has a design for how we interact with others. He has a design for how we manage our finances. He has a design for our attitudes. Like he has a design for absolutely everything. But the Bible teaches us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so, so what happens is sometimes we know God has a design, but we think we have a better design <laughs> and we have a better plan. And so we depart from God's design. And when we depart from his design, it's typically because we think, say, or do something that hurts the heart of God. And so we depart from God's design and we, we, we pursue our own design. But every time that lands us in a place of brokenness. And what happens is those, that brokenness brings these feelings that, that none of us really like. They bring feelings of shame. They bring feelings of guilt. They bring feelings of brokenness. And so what happens is we try to fix that. But the problem is we can't fix our guilt. We can't fix our shame, but we try to. We try to by working harder and doing better and thinking that this relationship is going to share, is going to solve everything. If we just get that thing, then that's going to make everything better. But the thing is this, it just leaves us in brokenness. It has no power to heal our brokenness. And this is where the gospel comes in. It's the good news. That God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus, that whoever believed in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And so 
The, the Bible, the, the, the gospel truth is that Jesus came, as I shared earlier, lived a perfect life. He was crucified on a cross for our sin. He was placed in a tomb and he rose from the dead, proving he has the power to forgive sin. And he's the only one who does. And that by repenting, which means you acknowledge your sin and you change your mind about your sin, doesn't mean you're perfect. It just means you change your mind about your sin. And you turn to Jesus and you believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And through him and him alone can be salvation. Just like those Samaritans and that Samaritan woman, the Bible says you will be saved. And he rescues us. And he places his spirit in us to give us the grace and strength. How or what? To live in his design for his glory and his mission, which apart from him is impossible for us to do. And so it may be you relate to the Samaritan woman. She was trying to fix it with marriage one, fix it with marriage two, fix it with marriage three, fix it with marriage four, mix it, fix it with marriage five. And then she just all together gave up and said, forget it. Well, I'm just going to live with this guy. All in an attempt to fix it. But, but Jesus said, I'm the only one. I am the Messiah. I give living water. And so if you're here today and you want to begin a relationship with the only one who can heal the broken areas of your life, that today would be the day of salvation. And so in just a moment, we're going to sing a song and we're going to have pastors here. And we just want you to know that, that we're here for you. We'd love to pray for you. Maybe you're here today. You're like, you know what? I have tried to fix it and fix it and fix it. I can't fix it. I need Jesus. I need to surrender my life to Jesus. Or maybe, or maybe there's a specific person that you've been praying for, who's far from God and you long to see them in that relationship with Jesus. Maybe it's just spending time and getting on our knees before the Lord and just interceding and praying for our lost. Maybe it's a friend or family member or coworker, somebody you know. But God help us to stay on mission because Jesus says the time is now. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. And we thank you, God. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your care. We thank you for your love. God, we thank you that you wearied yourself to pursue thirsty souls. And Father, as your church, may we weary ourselves pursuing thirsty souls. God, forgive us for those times where we were like the disciples, hesitant and and uh, wanting to maybe wait or not, a little longer or, or, or try to like figure out why in the world this person is where they're at in life. But rather, God, you're such the ultimate example of your love and grace that came into that broken woman's world to rescue her. So God, help us to live life on that rescue mission for your glory. And God, I also pray for our, our, our church, as we head into this, this next weekend, got an opportunity, a consignment sale. But God, you use all kinds of tools and avenues to connect people to the gospel, and to connect people to yourself. And I thank you for this team. And I thank you for these volunteers and those who will sign up to serve and to know that every person walking through those doors, those hundreds of people, perhaps might be one of those who has drank from every possible well thinking it would satisfy. But only you can satisfy and have that opportunity to pray and encourage and bless. 
God, I pray that you find us spending personal time with you, time in your word and time in prayer, praying for those opportunities, praying for courage, praying for boldness, pointing to you. And God, I do pray for anybody here who's living apart from you that today would be the day of salvation. God, we love you and we praise you. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen.